2: There
1: was one time, and I actually booked,
2: I booked a production of Cats at Flat Rock Playhouse, which was one of my favorite gigs, but there was two days where I was surviving off of two boxes of dollar store Pop-Tarts, and honestly, it wasn't that bad.
0: What flavor?
2: It was a mixed bag.
0: Oh, okay. So you had some variety. That's good. You didn't get bored. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. And it kind of was nice. I feel like I want to eat trash foods normally. But when I have better options like healthy foods and broccoli, I can't justify eating Pop-Tarts. So my morning routine now that is it's happening like I've noticed it happens really organically and naturally which I love because I'm not the best at forcing myself to have routine but every single morning whether it's on my walk to work or it's when I'm getting ready in the morning I remind myself that today is going to be the best day of my life in hopes to just open myself up to letting amazing things happen and just if it just reminds me that every single day you're lucky to be alive and it kind of relaxes me makes me feel grateful I also in those moments sometimes more forest actually but i always just smile whether it's on the train or not while i have that moment because i really believe in once you start putting that energy out even if you tell yourself to smile then naturally i feel more happy and then i smile more throughout the day and i'm more relaxed etc so i feel like it's just little tools to setting myself up and training myself to go about my day being happier more open and grateful and just living a more positive existence oh okay.
0: Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Artistic Beginnings podcast. I'm Melody.
1: We've already said this.
0: (laughs) Oh, shit. We've already done that. (laughs) It's been a long day, guys. Uh, How are you doing, Mitch? Good? I'm doing okay.
1: (laughs) We had this whole intro planned on doing, talking about us working out. I have not been working out, Melody, and then transitioning it over to Peloton, which is where... Nick.
0: Great transition. Yeah. This week on our show we have Nick Lorenzini <laughs> Nick who
1: actually really works
2: for Peloton, he works for
1: Peloton <laughs> but he's also a creative. He's creatively working for Peloton, but he also started off in the the performing arts as a a singer, dancer, actor, all all of the above, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't wanna, I don't wanna pick favorites, but um, I really, honestly love this episode. <laughs> I sound like such a dick, but I do because it gives, it's giving us a, a different perspective that I don't think we've had on the show before. Of you know, it's okay to take a pause, take a breath. Like you don't have to. Continuously be pushing through on one path if you want to explore something different that will fulfill you in a different way. It's not
1: giving right. up. Well, you know? Nick explains it pretty well in the interview, but uh, he talks a lot about the fact that it's yeah. a kind of a chaptered approach to his life, and he's currently in his Peloton mm-hmm. chapter, and he Shares the previous chapters of his growing up and talking about some of his experiences as uh, a performer uh, in New York and and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a good way of approaching life, and I think you can learn a lot from. Yeah, uh, totally his didn't approach. mean to
0: like spoil the entire episode there for you guys. But no, 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 we're we'll going to keep
1: it in. Uh, Nick <laughs> does a better job of explaining it than we do. We're just giving you a little teaser. It's
0: very true. We're giving you a, a little a little appetizer.
1: Pele teaser
0: okay why don't we we stop talking and then you guys can listen to nick let's just jump into the interview shall we
2: yeah take it away nick so it starts in phoenix arizona where i was born and at the age of 11 months old i played baby jesus in the nativity play and the critics went wild and a star was born
0: a pretty good origin story i must
2: say you know what it is true that's that's the best part it's not made up i did there was a point towards the end of my musical theater career where i wanted to put baby jesus at phoenix baptist church on my resume (laughs) at the age and like actually put the year
0: oh you should have oh my god
2: (laughs) but it, it never came it never came to be unfortunately next time when i jump back in i guess just to kind of fast forward to the artistic part of my life it started in third grade My mom's boyfriend at the time took us to the touring production of Phantom of the Opera. And it changed my life. As a little third grader, I'd never seen anything like it. And from that moment on, light bulb went off and I just knew I wanted to be an actor. So then carrying on this journey, my mom was remarried to my stepdad and he moved us to Orange County, California. And that's where his job just so happened to take him to Dana Point, California where there was a high school, Dana Hills High School, which is a traditional school, but you could audition to be a part of their arts program, where the majority of your classes would be based around the arts. So instead of English, I would take Socia English, which Socha is the South Orange County School of the Arts, which is like the knockoff version of OSHA. (laughs) Yeah, like nobody knows what SoSha is, but we thrived. Yeah, I was just
0: about to say it sounds like OSHA.
2: (laughs) Yeah, definite knockoff. But it was amazing. I mean, I didn't know at the time the difference. It took until years later, moving to New York and people being like, you didn't go to OSHA? Why wouldn't you have gone there? I'm like, bitch, I was just grabbing at whatever I could to perform and learn and just be a happy, you're out of control at the age of 13, you know? And like I said, my parents were not stage parents. The exact opposite. They did as much as they could to be like, you're never going to make a living. And luckily I fought that because I knew what I wanted to do and what I was meant to do in that moment. So yeah, so I enrolled in the theater arts school. I got in. Basically everybody gets in, but we won't talk about that. I felt special. And it was amazing because instead of like regular English, you would take social English where your homework and assignments were more so geared towards performing Shakespeare Mm. instead of going home and reading multiple books and then doing... book report, we would have to read plays and come in and reenact three of our favorite scenes. So it was pretty amazing. It was really cool. And I just I went in, they were doing anything goes and I auditioned and I had never I wanted to be okay. So backtracking, I wanted to tap dance as a kid, but never took lessons. My mom glued a pair of taps onto my converse. And I would just tap around the house and tap through the grocery store. But I never took a lesson.
0: That's incredible.
2: So then in high school, I went to the audition. And just by watching her show the moves, I kind of picked it up right away. And that's when I realized I was like, Oh, I think I have a natural knack for picking up dancing. And I started dancing and just kind of saying to myself, I'll never forget the first time I ever sang knowing what I was doing. And this is after a failed audition or two at this high school where I was like, No, I just want to act. I auditioned and was scared because I literally had never sang. I didn't really know what it was. But after year at that school and watching the musicals and being inspired. My mom went into the library once and I was sitting in her white little minivan and Michelle by the Beatles was playing. And I was like, let me try to sing along to this and judge myself and hear what I hear and hear if I think this sounds good. And I was singing along and I was like, Oh, I think I'm going to be a singer. And then I finally auditioned for one of the musicals and got in. And that was, I think, The Secret Garden. The Secret Garden or Anything Goes. Oh, so many mm. good shows. Yes, this high school. All right, any questions so far? Because I'm talking a lot.
1: Yeah, no, th- this is actually really great. I-, I love your stories of getting the skills kind of acquired. You're, you're talking a lot about the initial finding your voice, finding your dancing feet, that kind of stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about what you took as next steps to kind of develop those skills? Was it simply just doing more performances? Did you start taking lessons? Can you talk a little bit about the transition over to a a little bit more of what you were doing more as a a professional actor?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think getting into the shows is a big thing. And I also have to credit, I think a big majority of why I love theater and performing was the community. That was a huge thing for me. That wasn't everything and the only reason. But so going into school, I moved to California in the middle of eighth grade, which I think Is hard. Lots of kids go through that. Lots of kids leave and change schools way more often than I did. But I came from a place in Arizona where everyone knew me. The things that I did were cool and I was popular in Arizona being a little chubby skateboarding kid at this point. And then I moved to Orange County where everyone looks like Zac Efron and they're like, I wake up at 5am and I'm on the surf team and I run three miles every day. And I was like, what the actual fuck is happening? So it was a big culture shock. And that second semester of eighth grade was very challenging for me. And just a pivotal moment in my life experiencing that and, you know, just not having friends and eating lunches by myself in the bathroom, straight up Lindsay Lohan style and Mean Girls. And then going into high school and entering this musical theater program where I saw people who were like me and who probably struggled in the same areas I struggled in and just were these eccentric, artsy, stereotypical nerdy drama kids and i was in heaven i just thrived i just immersed myself entirely in the program i would uh, honestly the only academic classes i did take suffered tremendously because i would we would ditch every class i'd be like oh i have to go work on the national anthem we're singing at the pep rally i've, I've got to leave class like i would sneak out of every class that wasn't theater and yeah just really immersing myself so after high school summer hit and I realized I had nowhere to go. I didn't have foreign language. I couldn't even apply to a Cal State college because I didn't have the right requirements. So I went to community college for a little bit and tried to figure it out. And then I realized, I was like, I can't support myself I don't know what I'm doing so I moved back to Arizona for a year to live with my parents and I went to Scottsdale Community College I started working at a local theater just as box office because I needed to get a job and then I auditioned for one of their children's theater productions of The Wiz and (laughs) I got in as the lion quadruple cast honey we love a podcasting yeah all of it was quadruple casting you had to pay to be a part of it but I ended up not accepting the lion because I I also was working at Blockbuster Video. Throwback oh, for wow. you. Wow. Dream job. Yep. So I was like, I'll just be in the ensemble. So I started working in Arizona theater to try to get my feet wet ultimately wound up to still being in touch with all my friends from California one of the closest things to a mentor I think at that time I had was a girl named Michelle Johnson now Michelle London shout out to Michelle London she's a star she kind of took me under her wing towards the end of high school because she had a supportive family knew everything about theater she would literally randomly one time was like hey what are you doing tonight I'm picking you up in a limo we're going to see rent the touring production she just opened my eyes to theater and what the biz was like, is she had worked outside of high school. And at that point I didn't know anyone. I didn't know what community theater was. So she had gone to AMDA Los Angeles and somehow we crossed paths again. And she was like, you're in the same boat I was. I didn't have the right credits to get into school. You know you want to perform. She's like, AMDA doesn't necessarily have the best reputation in New York, but she's like, it changed my life in LA. If you have any ounce of talent, they're going to just nourish your talent and put so much energy in you. She's like, you're going to be taught by people who are currently working on Broadway. So what better way to get hands-on knowledge? And I was like, done. So I auditioned for AMDA LA, and then I went for two years. Post-AMDA, that is when my journey truly began as a musical theater professional. so i spent a summer doing weird things but we won't get into that i was once again at the mercy of oh i have no money i have no family out here how can i pay rent so took a summer doing job job things but then ultimately moved back to la and from there i think it was just my whole plan was work all i wanted to be was a working actor and no matter what that was that was kind of my goal was to show the world that you can do what you love. And I think that was a huge part of my journey was rebelling against society and rebelling against everything my family was saying, which was, oh, you have to have a job job. You have to have a fallback. And my thought was, well, why? If I if I know that this is contributing good to the world and arts are such a huge part of the human experience and there should be more of it in the world, I can do that. I can make it and only do that. Turns out making $800 for two months of work in the ensemble of 42nd Street doesn't pay your rent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah so that was my goal work as an actor and my side job was always selling merchandise at Broadway shows in between gigs so that was great because I would still be in the community get to see shows at the Pantages for free but yeah I kind of hopped around after that moonlight directly after 42nd Street I did Cats at Moonlight and then was in with you know I was close to Steve Gladini and then with some of the big directors and artistic directors there and just formed a community and felt like I was in I
0: want to get to your peloton story
2: (laughs) yeah so i'm really passionate about this subject by the way and i want to say for the record all of my opinions is based off of my own journey and they are just that my opinions i say that because sometimes i feel like i have to tiptoe around my friends who are still performing because they are a little bit more vulnerable or sensitive and i've noticed some people if you say anything against the theater community they tense up and they just don't like it so that being said Everything I'm saying are based off of my wants and needs. So cut to me moving to New York. So I worked in California for like six years, built up a resume. My goal was to get a bi-coastal agent. So when I moved to New York, I hit the ground running. I was fortunate enough to do so. So that went on. I moved to New York, did another production of 42nd Street, and then kept working. Did a few tours. Was on my same journey. So after about four years of doing it, I started to have one major thing was I was having vocal issues in New York that I never had had no money no health insurance. And I wasn't showing my best at auditions, had no idea what to do, and I was like, well, wait, I've sacrificed everything in my life for this. I know how to sing, what is happening? Even to the point where one of my first big gigs was the first national tour of Elf the Musical, and I understudied Buddy. The Buddy was amazing, love him, still a friend of mine. But I knew for me as a performer and being new to New York that this was kind of my moment. I I was having vocal issues and I couldn't sing the part. And then they had to make another person understudy the role. And then he went on and I didn't. Mm -hmm. So I think I handled it well and was just kind of like, it's out of my hands. But so many theater people get catty and I just would hear the voices and people being like, oh, he got cast but isn't good enough. I knew I was good enough. So this went on. Doors were closing in my face and I was hitting a lot of speed bombs. My first attempt was, obviously I love this. When the going gets tough, I'm not going to give up. But then a moment happened where I was like, I need to look at what's happening to me and realize this is, has to be a sign. There's only so many doors that can close where they don't make sense. Like nothing made sense. The, the things that were happening, I, fi- I got a new agent who was in a production with me. She loved me. She saw me understudy Billy and 42nd Street. I had to go on. It was like me at my best Of my best. Killing it in the ensemble, saving the days, the understudy, doing well, tapping, doing everything. She loved me.
0: Living her best life.
2: Yeah. So she's now my agent. I finally have enough points to join the union. And she asks me, you know, what is a Broadway show? Because I'd said at this point, I'm not doing anything regionally. I'm not leaving New York. I want to be on Broadway. I'm going to say no to gigs so that I can be in New York for auditions. Okay. So what's a show on Broadway right now you think you're right for? And at that time, it was something rotten. I'm like, this show was, I'm made for this ensemble. Cut to, I asked her, I was like, I would go to the ECC because I was still a fighter at this point. She assured me, no, oh my gosh, that's what your agent is for. I'll get you an appointment. I'll get you an appointment. I'm hanging out with one of my friends. And he's like, oh, are you going to be at the callbacks tomorrow? I was like, wait, what? No, I don't have my appointment yet. He's like, oh, appointments were all last week. Mm -hmm. So then I call my agent. And she's like, yeah, sorry, we submitted for you twice. And for whatever reason, you didn't get an appointment. And at that moment, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm sacrificing everything in my life for this career. If I can't even get an appointment when I have an amazing resume, I'm a tapper, I'm goofy, this show is right for me, why would I want to be giving everything to this career when I'm at this point getting nothing back? So that was time. That was like, oh shit, Nick Lorenzini, it's time to rethink (laughs) some things
0: reevaluate.
2: Yeah. So I took a step back and just went back to the drawing board and I had two roommates at the time who were in similar positions and I felt very fortunate to have them because we would stay up late over wine or whiskey and just talk about life and support each other and say like, well, okay, if you're thinking you're interested in this, try this, try that. Very supportive because we were all going through career changes, Mm -hmm. one of which wasn't even an actor. So it was great. Mm. my first step was grasp at things that are in my reach so i'd always i'd sold merchandise at this point for eight to ten years on and off at that point i was working at hamilton and and something else and i was like okay this is a career i don't have a college degree so let me maybe try to be a manager maybe that can be a career path i could start managing merchandise maybe become a designer from them use the money i have from a, a real job to take classes So I tried that. I was the merchandise manager at Waitress. I was also baking the pies as people would walk in so you could smell the aroma. (laughs) I got a write-up in the New York Times. A theater staffer bakes a pie. That was me, theater staffer. (laughs) I will sign autographs for all of you.
0: Yes, I will. Thank you. you. Theater staffer who baked a pie.
2: Exactly. So also one of my best girlfriends from a production at nine to five I knew was in Waitress. So I was like, this is perfect. I'll manage it and I'll finally have some money. Mm -hmm. So that was horrible. I did it for three months and I realized selling merchandise is not cute when you actually have to be there at every single show. I was on days of shipments. I would get there at noon and would stay till midnight. I was like, this is not worth it. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So then I also tried, I had a connection through a menswear company. So I started working for them full time. So at this point, what I had decided, this is my epiphany. I realized similar to what I said, I was like, I realized in so much talk of theater, everyone talks about the dream, go for your dream, college, high school. Oh, never give up on your dream. Never give up on your dream. And I now feel like that is, can be so disabling and it was for mm-hmm. me because I realized, I'm like, oh, I have so many dreams, not just one. I have dreams of being able to afford to fly to Arizona to see my family more than once every three years. Right. I have dreams of affording dinner out maybe once a week, dreams of being able to pay rent, dreams of confidently going on a date, not saying that I'm living off of Pop-Tarts. That was my new journey. I was like, I I need to put this one dream on the back burner because- I know it's a fact of life that there are other careers I can have that will give me the means to explore multiple dreams. Mm. And so that was my journey. And with those last two jobs I mentioned, I was dabbling with that for a little while. And then this is how Peloton happened. Are you ready, ladies and gentlemen? We've made it. Strap in. We have made it. My friend Isaac James, who I had known through the theater community of California also moved to New York, and we had a bunch of mutual friends. We never worked together, but through association, he was my like theater family. Mm. He also had been a photographer forever, and he did my headshots in LA and in New York. He started working at Peloton at the very beginning, spraying people's shoes because he knew he could work in the mornings at 5 a.m., get off at noon, and still make auditions. Mm. He ended up he saw an opportunity for himself. He pitched himself to be their sole photographer because they didn't have one. They were still so young. He got in as still freelance part-time, very base entry-level job and made a new career for for himself. Cut cuts where he is now. He's now an associate creative director. He's gotten probably a total of 10 promotions and is now extremely successful in his career. So, At this point of my journey, I one night was drunk and one of our mutual friends was like, reach out to him, reach out to him because I was still, I wasn't happy in my menswear career. The merchandise thing didn't work out. Mm -hmm. My next step was, well, who are people I know? What are other things I'm interested? I thought I could be interested in photography. That's artistic. Maybe that's a new skill I can learn. I kind of was just had a blindfold on. It was throwing darts. That's what it felt like. And I was waiting to see if something would hit the bullseye. And I drunk texted Isaac one night, and I believe my exact words were, listen, bitch, are you ready for me to be your assistant yet? <laughs> and and he was like and he was like, Can you meet me at our headquarters in two days? And I was like, Yeah, absolutely. So then I went to Peloton's headquarters, which is their, it's still the headquarters now. We're about to move and I think September might be delayed because of corona. So I went and met him at his headquarters and was just blown away because I saw I almost had this longing because I knew I was putting theater on the background. I was like I think I I think I'm trying to experience corporate life and see if that works for me. And Peloton is not that. It's not stereotypical. It's very what you would imagine similar to Google. It's very millennial driven. There's beer on tap, coffee on tap. Everyone had beards, tattoos and I was like what is this place. Mm -hmm. And he talked to me through everything he was looking for. He was looking for a photo assistant, someone who could just learn all of the basics and basically be his right-hand man. And I told him I had worked production gigs before. I worked assistant gigs. I worked gigs where I've had to adapt and learn new things. And I told him, I was like, I think all of my past jobs, shit jobs or not, have led me to being in this moment and he was like, honestly, I can't believe you just said that because when I got my opportunity at Peloton, I said the exact same thing. Hmm. And so I started and he had, his assistant was leaving and he had issues with him or not issues, but the, the dynamic there wasn't working because assistant wanted to be a photographer and kind of wanted Isaac's job. He knew that we would never have that dynamic. He knew I was at a place where I kind of needed an opportunity So that next week, I jumped on my first shoot, had never really worked on a shoot in that capacity, and just learned everything I could. I learned from the ground up, learning how to set up lights. And I just, on every new shoot, had to ask questions, had to figure it out. And it was horrifying, but I knew I was supposed to be doing it. And I just hustled. I, w- at that point, was hourly and freelance. And I just knew that I needed to make money. I basically was never going to go back to school. And this was my schooling. I was like, I'm so fortunate. I'm being given the opportunity to learn how to be a photo assistant or a producer. And I just kept working my ass off, raising my hand, helping wherever I could. And within a year, I got promoted to photo producer. So then at that point for Peloton, it was still pretty young as a business. So I was their photo assistant. And now learning in the corporate world what these things mean, it was pretty impressive. I was producing 90 plus shoots by myself, self-taught, obviously with crew members, but I was responsible for everything. And, you know, in meetings with head of marketing, who all these people who are Yale graduates and Ivy League schools. and I'm going to take a step back because I could get into more of those details and it's boring. You kind of, you get the story at this point. (laughs) But to me, the fascinating part of the journey was I had spent my entire life doing something that I thought I was supposed to be doing. It was creative and artsy, but it was rigid. I was on a straight path and I didn't realize till that moment how much I was limiting myself to other opportunities because if it didn't fall into what I thought I was supposed to be doing, I wouldn't hear it. And here I was in meetings with people, like I said, with Ivy League school degrees, and on paper, very intelligent and successful, wondering what I had to say, interested in my opinion praising me saying I was doing such great work and they were lucky to have me. And I was like, I never got that from theater. I mean, I was selling people said I was good in certain roles, et cetera, but you were always at the mercy of the director. You were always at the mercy of people in an audition room telling you if they thought they had enough time for you, or if they, if they thought you were good enough to hear more. And I was like, Oh, the second I let go and just lean into this opportunity that on paper was so not what I wanted, everything started to happen for me. I was being respected. I was being given opportunities. I was given health insurance, a career, a 401k, stock options. I felt more confident on dates. And I was just like, what the absolute fuck is happening? (laughs) So, and that's it. And now my role is creative producer. I'm fortunate every single day. I still continue to learn as much as I can and navigate the waters of what this new world is for me. And that's it. Pause for questions.
1: <laughs> That's really amazing. So I have a very similar experience, right? Like I didn't go as deep into the acting career and everything, but I'm, I'm starting to live more in the like the technology and corporate America type situation and being in a, a spot where I'm, I wasn't initially seeing myself. Are you feeling fulfilled to your creative, I don't know, desires in your job? It sounds like you, you may be, but are you exploring other things on the side? Like, are you strictly just leaning into this and, and seeing how far you can go with it? What is the percentage of, of your time that you're, you're spending developing other other pieces of your life?
2: So that's a great question. And it's something I'm really working on now. I try to, I try to remind myself constantly why I set out for what I'm doing now. And the initial plan, and I know things change, but I think it's good to revisit. The initial plan was to get a job where I could support myself to then perform, take class. I never took a single dance class in my four years while performing in New York because I couldn't justify spending the money. Mm. And so the whole goal of getting a job job, so to speak, was to be able to afford to take improv, to take dance classes. And to be a performer again, because I loved it and not out of desperation. Now, I haven't done that. And it's been three and a half years now. But it's been deliberate. Because for me, what I realized, I had this aha moment, which is sort of what I described, which is the second I sort of let go, life became easier for me. I felt more well-adjusted and not so frantic every decision, like I feel like I'm so much happier in every single day of my life in this moment. So I'm not spending too much time questioning it and saying, well, well, are you fulfilled? Are you doing something creative? Because I also look at life now in chapters. And right now this chapter is Peloton and giving myself the opportunity. I mean, now I'm, I'm fully suited. I think to get a job elsewhere and not have to worry about not having a degree. I think even if I were to move to L.A. tomorrow, I'm confident in my resume and what I bring to the table to say, oh, I was with Peloton from in their sort of heyday when they went from nobody knowing them to having 100% people know the brand. And I developed the visual language with my boss. So I've definitely checked that off. But that took New York is hard. I work nine to 10 hour days. If you tack on a 45 commute commute both ways. By the time I get home, I barely have time to work out or energy. If I wanna see friends, that's maybe I have energy to do that two to three times a week, but really my life has been Peloton. But I'm not mad about it because I'm getting what I want from it, other than I think the one thing that is missing in my life is a creative outlet. And the job itself is creative, but my role as a producer is not so much that. My, everyone respects me and I can, whenever I want, raise my hands and say, I don't like that color palette. Like, are you sure you want to go with jewel tones? Or I can put my hand in the creative aspect, but we have art directors, artistic directors, associate directors, copywriters. We have people who that's their job Mm -hmm. to work on that. So definitely not as artistic as I would dream but as I mentioned, and thinking more so is life and knowing that I don't truly believe you can have everything at once. I think you can get whatever you want out of, your, out of life. I really do believe that. Sacrifices come along with that, though. And I think that's when people don't get what they want because they realize, oh, well, it takes this and I don't want to do that. Or like me, if I wanted to be on Broadway, I could be on Broadway. But do I want to be eating Pop-Tarts and have agents who can't get me a job audition? Like, no. So then that kills my dream now of wanting to be on Broadway. But I'm also acknowledging that. So, yeah. So right now it's like my dreams of having an apartment and feeling comfortable in my home and being able to bring a, a boy over and confidently show them like, oh, yeah, I live alone. And I don't have to worry about my roommates hearing us or interrupting my date I'm focusing on all of those things right now in hopes to then, whenever I, I'm done or I need to take a break or get back into the arts, I am grounded and ready to do so.: mm. Okay. Mm. I have just talked: Here for an hour. For
0: it.: Yes, <laughs> but like, so oh.
1: Honestly, we could talk with uh, with you for probably another couple hours. Yes. There, there's a couple of lines that I really wanted to dive into, but I, I we may have to just save that, and we'll we'll have you back on the show sometime.
0: Yeah. Okay, we're gonna do closing questions because again, I feel like we could just talk the rest of the day.
1: <laughs> I can't wait. Bring
2: it on. I hope I have good answers.
0: All right. First question: What is the hardest thing about pursuing the arts?
2: Ooh. I think the sacrifices and how society treats the arts. It's not treated with the respect it should have. You don't make the money you should be able to make to live in society as we see society. So I think that's hard. I mean, you know, I went to high school and college. That's more to say for somebody with an engineering degree. Like they didn't most likely go to an engineering specific high school. Mm -hmm. I had all of the training and was set up to be somebody who should be paid decently for what they do, and that is just not the way it works in the arts. Yep. And for some people, you can't survive off of that. Me, what you heard about my family living in New York, living off pop tarts and cans of beans, I was there. I couldn't do it for longer. I was turning thirty. It just was not going to be cute anymore.
1: Mm. Fair. What keeps you up at night? Ooh, that's a great
2: one. I would have to say. Maybe the thought of not serving my purpose on in this lifetime, those types of questions, even though I kind of I'm contradicting myself because earlier I said I try not to think too much about my purpose. And I mm-hmm. don't in a way that is negative. I don't let it weigh me down. But I it is hard for me in the in these moments, even though I am looking at it as a chapter and I and I know it's gonna come, but I do think we all have that fire in us. And I think we know what we offer to this world. If I were to die and have having not met that and not given the love or been the entertainer that I think is my specialty as a human, that to me is sad, but I sleep really well actually. So (laughs) (laughs) all right. Yeah.
1: Bring it back up. All right.
0: that question because people are like oh i don't know they're like i either sleep really well or they're like oh i'm up for i just have insomnia and i'm like all right
2: (laughs) well yeah i think that's why it's like you know figuratively speaking because i i'm a good sleeper but there are obviously those things that are daunting in the back of your head
0: totally Mm -hmm. yeah all right final question to a person that might be interested in pursuing the arts while still working a nine to five what advice would you give them
2: I would say, first and foremost, do it. If you've got that fire and that passion, so cliche, do it, do it, do it. But do not villainize a nine to five the way you're taught to. Mm -hmm. Part of me would love, I would love to eventually one day maybe put together some sort of program or visit theater schools and speak uh, based off of my experience and try to change the way certain instructors, teachers, and professors educate their kids because I really do think people wrongfully villainize the nine to five world, which is so crazy because when I got out of theater and I'll always be a performer. And so that's another aspect to this. I would say, so even given a lot of the things I've said that have been like, I don't have much respect for the foundation of the theater industry because I don't think, I think it's, What's the right word? I think there's a lot of faults to it. I think it's unstable. I don't think it's... It's not meant to take care of actors. Mm. And I think there are lots of issues that need to get figured out. But that being said, everything we talked about, community, it taught me to be the man I am today. The reason I'm able to have a job without a... Uh, degree or a background in it is because of how I conduct myself. I'm well-spoken. I know how to read the room. I'm kind to people. And those are all things I got from my theater career and it's all connected. Mm -hmm. So even if, even though my opinions have changed and how I feel about the industry has changed, i still would not change my training through the theater and through the arts for anything, because it's, it's all connected. It's how I got the job through a connection and it's how I survive and yeah so I still support it I think I think everyone even if I have kids I'm a big believer in letting your kids naturally find what they want to do and not forcing them to do things I would force them to be involved in the arts (laughs) I'm sorry my future children you're gonna have to be in the arts sorry (laughs) you can play sports if you want to that's great and I will learn and I will be a sports stage parent but you're also going to have to take a little tap class or something. But yeah, so that's my answer. Back to, you're going to edit this, so I will let myself ramble on for one more minute. I really do think, like for me, so back to the whole villainizing the nine to five, I think it is so wrong and so backwards because we preach that artists are so open and eclectic and they understand the world. And yet once I left it, I was like, what percentage? Mitch, I feel like you would know this answer, but I feel like, what's the percentage of artists in the world? It is so small. So we talk about being so open and at one with what it's like to be a human and following your dreams, yet you're closing yourself off to 90 plus percent of the opportunities in the world by saying things like, oh, I could never work at a desk. I could never have post-its and have to file paperwork. It's like, that's then you don't do that. You could Mm -hmm. work in marketing. You could be a photographer and making $250,000 a year and be able to have that home that you want to have in a family and not be worried about paying rent. So I just, I really have issues with, and maybe it was just my my journey, but I, I think it's most people would agree for better or worse that theater professors villainize the nine to five corporate world
1: yeah it's it's kind of like straddling that balance between being really dedicated to what you want to be doing because you need to have that kind of focus but Mm -hmm. also realizing that you need to be flexible a little bit with that focus to understand what truly to do and that's where i think some of that that villainy kind of comes in right yeah
2: and it makes and that, that probably comes from their journey and it makes sense to them, I guess. You know, Even now, I watched, an, I think maybe Dennis O'Hara, or an act, I saw an interview recently with an actor I respect in his, say, 50s, and saying the same stuff of like, oh, I could never work an office job, soul-sucking. And so that might make sense to him, but the, it's just crazy to me that you would limit yourself at any capacity. Like, I now work as a producer in a more marketing corporate world, but I don't want to limit myself to maybe, what if I want to get into copywriting? What if I mm. want to do something that's not creative at all that could be so fulfilling and I could be so successful at? Why would I close myself off to that? But you're so right. And I think it's it's a little more obvious that you will be successful if you've got that narrow drive, eye on the prize. Like, I'm doing theater. I don't want to fall back. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. I just I think there are ways people can word it And present it in a way that there are other opportunities where you can also be happy. That doesn't mean you have to give up on performing, but don't be scared. Because now I so many friends now, I also think it's an age thing. I know so many people entering their 30s who will reach out to me and say, can you tell me about your journey, about leaving theater, how hard was it? And of course it's hard. I have mourned the loss of something I spent 25 years doing. And focusing everything in my life for like, it was, it's intense. But when I watch my friends, one of the first things I say is like, just do it. You just have to do it. Theater's not going anywhere. You could try it for a month, but you're going to spend years being so afraid of this. It's like, I feel like being a wizard and you're still so afraid of the muggle world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but dip your toe and see if anything works for you because you could be happier, happier than you've ever been. And you might be closing yourself off out of fear.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, thanks for listening.
0: You can find out more about Nick on his Instagram at Nicholas Palo. He has some killer Halloween costumes up there. And also on his website, NickLorenzini.com.
1: Nick's information and more details about the interview can be found on our website at www.artisticpodcast.com.
0: If you liked the conversation, do us a favor and share it with a friend. It's the best way to help people find our podcast and will help support the show.
1: For updates on new episodes and content, you can follow us at The Artistic Pod on Instagram and Facebook.
0: Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Oh,
1: I can't do it.
0: You can't roll your R's. Oh, Oh, close enough. Perry. (laughs)